from the United States of America. These are the greatest hits ever made. The big one. WTWW Lebanon, Tennessee, USA. Welcome to the Digicom Cafe, located at the intersection of faith and technology. We hope you enjoy your cafe experience where we cater to your digital and spiritual appetites, and build interest in the amateur radio hobby, one story at a time. Please stand by as we get ready to launch this episode of, Radio on the Rocks. You are about to listen to a Radio on the Rocks cafe cast, with your host, Denny J, K5DCC, in the Digicom Cafe Communications Network. Enjoy Denny's reality radio activities of the day, including cafe news and updates, on-air contacts on satellites, and conversations on a myriad of RF and digital communications platforms, including guest interviews of amateur radio operators from around the world. So, pull up a chair, enjoy some cafe on ice, and fill up your glass with some radio on the rocks. Welcome everybody to the Digicom Cafe. Come on in, pull up a chair around the table. We have with us our guest today, Eric Guth, 4Z1UG, who lives in Jerusalem. And Eric is... Well, actually, I, I don't live in Jerusalem. I actually live about eight miles south of Jerusalem. Oh, really? Okay. I was looking at your QRZ page there, and it says that you are the founder of the Jerusalem Amateur Radio Society and maintain uh, some of the repeaters there. Are those all all-star repeaters? The analog repeaters in Israel are slowly converting to all-star. Um, I had the first all-star repeater in Israel. I actually had the first all-star node in Israel some years ago. And uh, you mentioned uh, Rick Torx 1DA earlier. He was uh, the second to have an all-star node. So uh, I guess I kind of started this whole all-star idea. The uh, Jerusalem, the um, Israel Amateur Radio Club, which is like the ARRL of, of Israel, um, has kind of decided to use All-Star now to link the VHF repeaters together, which are analog. And um, and then we're also putting in uh, a DMR on UHF um, across the country as well. So, And then all that's kind of linking together. Very cool. I've been a fan of All-Star for, oh man, the last 12 years. And of course, it's been fun to see all the developments and changes in bridging uh, I used to have a multi-mode system all linked together with All-Star, DMR, D-Star, Fusion, Peanut, Hamshack, Hotline, TeamSpeak, and Zello. <laughs> I mean, all connected wow. together. But it was just too much. I, I don't think a lot of people appreciated uh, the different bridging. My goal was to just try and bring everybody together instead of going off in faction groups. But, right into the cafe. Yes, come into the cafe. Yeah, just bring them into the cafe however they can get there. Exactly. Radio or no radio, license or no license. Uh, obviously, we had things separated out for just VoIP for the non-hams to introduce them to ham radio. And I think you seem like you're kind of interested in the bridging, too. Uh, I, I like All-Star. The bridging, uh, we're, we're doing some uh, bridging in, in Israel right now between DMR and All-Star and um uh, it maybe it needs more processing power. It just doesn't sound great. Yeah. Well, DMR does have a different sound. I have an all-star node in the cloud that is bridged to my DMR talk group on the TGIF network, and of course, all-star already has Echolink in it. 
And that was another right. problem I had. Echolink doesn't like bridging to uh, the supposed non-ham platforms like Zello or TeamSpeak, so we had to break that off. But anyway, um, we have several topics I thought we'd touch on. I, I know that you sure. have had this wonderful interview that you had done by bringing someone else in, and uh, I was just fascinated by that. So I won't uh, belabor that. I would just encourage everybody to go to your uh, website. I will actually have the link to that interview in the show notes for uh, this conversation. And I highly encourage everybody to go and listen to it. You'll be very inspired. But in looking over your material and seeing your Facebook page and QRZ page, uh, I see some interesting topics we could delve into. One of them being, I understand you're in theater. Uh, I do. Uh, I do amateur theater. There's a um, uh, an English uh, theater company. Uh, it, it was started as the Gilbert and Sullivan Society of Jerusalem. It now is now called uh, Encore Educational Theater, and uh, it's home. Uh, what is it? It's uh, amateur, uh, like Broadway, uh, Gilbert and Sullivan. So I, they try to do a Gilbert, Sol- Gilbert and Sullivan musical once a year, and then they'll do something else. I'm actually sitting out this uh, this fall. They're doing the Rothschilds, which is uh, a, um, I think, Sheldon and Harnach um, uh, musical. So I'm sitting that one out in the fall, but uh, I, I'm producing three um, musical evenings in the spring, the first one, January 21st in Jerusalem, where I, where I sing with three other people. Oh, you sing too. I do. Wonderful. My wife and I also sing. We had an album that we recorded, uh, oh man, back in the mid eighties, all original music about that, that my wife wrote. We called it family matters. It was, uh, all about family and marriage and faith. How about that? Well, I'm doing. Um, I'm, I've started a thing last year called the American Songbook. So we like to uh, uh, take take one of the uh, or two of the composers each night. So last year we did uh, Cole Porter and we did uh, George and Ira Gershwin in two nights, and uh, we go through their music and uh, talk about some of their history and what what the how relevant the music was at the time. And the one in January is. Uh, Harold Arlen. Harold Arlen wrote uh, "Somewhere Over the Rainbow" and "Paper Moon," uh, um, and a number of songs like that. So, uh, so four of us will sing twenty songs in an hour and a half, and uh, hopefully, everyone will enjoy it. Well, is there a place where someone might be able to listen to that or watch it on maybe YouTube? Uh, well, I don't. <laughs> well, that's a very good question. Uh, that, that raises uh, some technical issues. Yeah, you know what? If if somebody records it, it'll it'll be out on YouTube. Um, I actually hadn't thought much about uh, recording it, but you know that's something we can uh, we can figure out how to do. It's amazing the ways you can record these things. In fact, we were at Silver Dollar City here last week, and I recorded uh, a whole production of A Christmas Carol on my Apple Watch. And I took that file. Oh, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, and it turned out great. I would think your your forearm would be be kind of tired after. <laughs> Actually, I just uh, turned it on and forgot about it and didn't worry about it, and it recorded it very well. And then I took it home and re- I ran it through a program called, uh, oh, what is it here? It's Levelator. I don't know if you've heard of that before, but it kind of mm-hmm. levels out all the, the levels and You'll stuff. You'll put that in your show notes page. Yes. Well, actually, I uh, put the whole episode in my podcast. I contacted... Silver Dollar City for permission and things. So I shared that as kind of a Christmas treat. That was uh, an episode from last week. 
because I was mm-hmm. too busy at Silver Dollar City enjoying all the lights and the music and stuff. So, but anyway, that's that's exciting to hear what others are doing outside of ham radio, and um, I'm thrilled to hear that someone else is into music. My wife and I do. Well, go I think out. you'd find uh, a lot of um, hams are uh, into music or into something other than just ham radio. Oh yeah. Do you play any instruments? Um, I like like everyone else in the '60s and '70s. I attempted guitar. Okay, well, I play guitar and a little bit of mandolin. Uh, my wife is a very well, you're, talented. Piano you're much player. more serious than I am. Well, I don't know about how serious I am. I haven't picked it up a whole lot lately. I've been more uh, thrilled with amateur radio. In fact, uh, as you talked about in your interview, uh, I have Hovave Radio Intoxication. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, that uh, that happens. It does, and uh, you also touched on uh, sometimes being too addicted to it. And I thought we might talk about that aspect of ham radio. How do you keep well, we, balance in your life with what you're doing with ham radio and podcasting? So why don't we? Uh, so we could go back a little bit, and I'll give you some some background on that issue. Um, as a teenager, I was absolutely intoxicated by amateur radio. I I kind of uh, uh, lived and breathed it, and um, and the problem I think you know with that is is is, is that we you know we talk about balance later on, but I got to the point um, where it seemed to be as I hit my early twenties that I was beginning to make decisions professionally or about my schooling and things like this, you know, around ham radio interests, and I also you know began to also meet a lot of uh, hams who um, who were much older. Who uh, who had made amateur radio their only choice, and so th- it caused me to kind of um, uh, kind of <coughs> excuse me bail out of amateur radio uh, for a while. It, I didn't play a, um, a a big part. I ended up going to college. I ended up uh, uh, coming to Israel and meeting my wife and and heading back and uh, starting a family. So I was actually out of amateur radio actively uh, for almost 25 years before coming back. And, um, and I think, uh, you know, part of that was, it was, you know, too much amateur radio. So the, the balance is really important. Uh, it's, it's a great hobby. It, um, it, it's ter- terrific for the retirees as well as uh, young people. Um, it opens doors for young people, but it should be put in balance with, uh, with the other things that are important. Yep. And that can be a challenge. Um, now, as you probably have seen looking over the cafe, uh, we say that we're located at the intersection of faith and technology. And so we do have an emphasis on faith in our group from whatever persuasion. I have an appreciation for yours. Uh, we've been involved in the Messianic Jewish uh, movement, uh, realizing that as a Christian growing up, uh, we were robbed of our Jewish heritage. And so uh, we've learned a tremendous amount of uh, things about the Jewish faith and embrace embrace it. Uh, we love Israel. We love the people of Israel. And I sense that uh, the Jewish faith is very important to you and probably plays a role in your balance uh, act with ham radio and other things in your life, doesn't it? Well, um, yeah, as a matter of fact, I happen to be an Orthodox Jew, which means I keep the Sabbath every every Saturday. Uh, I eat only kosher food. Uh, it makes traveling in America difficult. Uh, only from the standpoint that uh, there's usually uh, nothing to eat. 
you know, I, I eat out, so I, I don't eat in restaurants that aren't um, that aren't supervised kosher. So, um, so yeah, it does play a big part, and it's also one of the reasons that I'm living in Israel is is, is that um, you know for the first time in 2,000 years, uh, the, the Jews have a homeland again. And um, I kind of felt that I could watch the game from America sitting in the bleachers or I could uh, be here and and uh, play on the field. So living here and playing on the field uh, actually seems to, to create a great deal of meaning for, for me and my wife and our family here. So that's, you know, that's kind of the reason I'm here. Uh, I think I'm contributing to the economy by running a business and employing people. Uh, is one of the ways to uh, to kind of uh, rebuild, uh, you know, our Jewish connection to the land here. Wonderful. Well, we support you in more ways than just praying for the peace of Jerusalem. I mean, we also consider ourselves Sabbatarians. We observe the Jewish uh, Sabbath, sundown to sundown. We like to have uh, Sabbath meals with our family. Uh, we celebrate the Jewish festivals, and uh, it really helps us to relate more to the struggles in uh, the life of uh, our Jewish master, Yeshua. And uh, we, we just love the, uh, the, the color and the, the uh, I don't know how to describe it to someone who's not familiar with it, but the traditions of Judaism are rich and really help us to understand the Bible in a more accurate way. And so we have a deep appreciation for the people of Israel. And uh, when I found out about you, I thought, oh, great. I love this. I love this. I have many Jewish friends, and uh, I love them, and we have a great fellowship. So I appreciate that about you, too. Uh, now, back to uh, getting into the hobby. Um, you talked about being mentored by a neighbor. Uh, mentoring is very important, or as some people like to use it in ham radio, being Elmered, which there's a discussion about that word in itself. But uh, uh, tell us a little bit more about what you feel about mentoring and what it's meant to you. I think that um, I, I think almost all, if if you listen to the QSO Today podcast, which is my podcast, uh, I've put up 277 episodes already. Uh, almost all those episodes begin with um, an interest as a child uh, in electricity, electronics, and radio, in uh, shortwave listening, or something like that. I had an interest in electronics as a kid, and uh, I didn't. Uh, my my parents didn't share that interest, and my father didn't share that interest in electronics. So, um, when I found it, uh, I happened to be um, in the garage with my dad. My dad loved cars, so his hobby was cars. Growing up, and I was in the garage uh, one night, you know, holding the light, and uh, a neighbor who just moved in at the end of the building was putting in a garage door opener, wanted to borrow a tool, and I thought at the time nobody had garage door openers. That was pretty rare. So I thought that was kind of cool. I'd go over there and see what he was doing. And he was building a Heathkit garage door opener at the time. And Heathkit was a very large for, for you know, the younger people. Heathkit was a very large company in the 60s and 70s that was that, that were making electronic uh, devices, amateur radio gear. They even made a mini bike for, for a, a period of time, television sets, stereos, all that stuff, test equipment. So... Um, it kind of, you know, was here was this guy at the end of the street who uh, had an interest in electronics, and he um, was all ha happened to also be a ham radio operator. So it was very important, I think, um, 
you know, becoming a ham uh, and uh, getting my license and then going to ham radio clubs and stuff and having people, um, you know, adults, you know, kind of supervising uh, my electronic activity. And I remember one night at the Newport Amateur Radio Society in Southern California, um, I was asked to to do the the next uh, next meeting's presentation, and uh, there was a um, uh, there was a, a ham there, Rick Nelson, WB6OBM. Uh, I, I have no idea where he is now. I haven't seen him in 40 years, but but uh, Rick said I'll I'll do that with you, Eric. And he was a, a an engineer, electronic engineer for a company in Orange County, and. Um, he said, Let, let's do this. Let's build a circuit like a code practice oscillator, but let's do it from scratch and we'll actually etch the boards. We'll, we'll design the boards. We'll, we'll etch the boards in the, in the club and we'll solder it and put the whole thing together and we'll do it in an hour. And um, I said, well, that's a great idea. So, so working with Rich preparing the, um, the, uh, the presentation for the club meeting, uh, I learned an awful lot. I learned how to you know, buy ferric chloride and put it in a glass cake pan and use it in the uh, garage. Um, the, the, my parents never noticed that the bottom of their cars were rusting because of the ferric chloride. <laughs> but um, I learned I learned a lot from my adult uh, ham mentors, and they played a very important uh, part in my electronic and development and the way that I think about technology. Now, you mentioned earlier, I think maybe before we started, that. You know, the young hams, you know, don't want to necessarily hear um, conversations about uh, old technology, old ham radio technology. But I have to tell you, I spent a lot of years um, as a teenager um, listening, just listening on uh, two meters or UHF on the local repeaters. And at that, that time, every repeater in Los Angeles was busy and all the time um, listening to people talk about what they were doing, about the antennas they were building and about the uh, the radios that they were um, tuning up, uh, issues they were having, they were would be discussing amongst the, amongst each other. And I learned an awful lot about technology just listening to other hams talking. And it sounds like all this has uh, impacted your career choices too, huh? Um, I'm sitting in a room. Uh, I'm sitting in my home office, which on one side is the computer and the and the uh, podcast uh, recording center. It's the desk that I work on most of the day. And behind me is my ham station. But um, to the right of that is uh, is my test bench, and I've got a um, uh, an HP uh, uh, spectrum analyzer, network analyzer. Uh, it's a service monitor. It was. It's used for um, for two-way radio, uh, but it works from, I know, 10 kilohertz to uh, 1 gigahertz, so it will cover all of the HF band as well. Um, I've got my 500 megahertz uh, four-channel uh, digital oscilloscope. I've got um, hot air tools as well as regular soldering stuff. So, yeah, I like to build stuff. I like to fix stuff. I think I like to fix stuff first. Uh, I, I never did it for a living because I, I don't think I could have made a living in paid for all the extras that I, you know, we seem to need to have um, when we're raising children. But um, I, I love sitting at my bench and working on things. Oh, that's cool. I remember building my uh, first Heathkit station, SB-102, SB-200, linear, 630 station console, uh, Kier, And I did it all in three days. I was afraid to turn it on. I didn't sleep. I mean, when I turned it on, I just prayed, oh, hope it runs, no smoke. And it ran. But that was... Uh, thrilling experience well uh -huh. were, when was that oh that was back in 
1974, I think. It was, I've been a ham for 50 years now, so done a lot. And like you, I got out of it for a period, too, and really got uh, enmeshed in the whole Internet thing when our oldest son was going to college and told us about this thing called email. I started out with uh, Gopher and watched it develop into Netscape and been uh, heavily into that Internet stuff ever since. And then, of course, ham radio just fit in perfect with it, and uh, it just dovetails so well now. How about that? Did you were you always active as a ham? Uh, pretty or much. I got my license in high school as a result of uh, mentoring from an electronics instructor. Uh, mm -hmm. In fact, he offered us uh, extra credit if we would get our novice license, and they had a club station that we could use. So uh, half a dozen of us uh, got our novice ticket. My first station was a uh, homebrew uh, breadboard transmitter and uh, an old SX24 Hallocrafters receiver. And those first contacts on 40 meters just lit up my life. I've been hooked on it ever since. Uh, I'd hate to think of how much money I've put into the black hole of radio gear over the years. No, no, no. You never can. You you, you never can do that. <laughs> you don't have. <laughs> you, you can't. You can't say what how much money you've spent. I I, I think all, every ham has um, spent a lot of money on equipment. Uh, some that doesn't work. Even I I've got a whole uh, attic full of stuff. That my wife doesn't even know about. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, so your wife is not a ham? No, my wife is not a ham. Is she um, all But interested? most of the stuff that's in the attic is, I, I'm, I'm a collector. So as I'm walking the dogs in the morning, people people throw out um, really good stuff. And so if it's a, a good piece of aluminum or a, uh, a threaded rod or whatever it is they're, they're throwing out, if it, it looks like it might have a ham radio use, it, it either goes into the... Um, the area between the houses that nobody can see, or it goes uh, up into the attic. Oh yeah, I'm starting to get that way too. I just had some guy contact me here uh, last month. Said we got uh, three old radios here. We want to get rid of. Is it something you'd be interested in? Uh, his girlfriend's uh, husband died, and I said I'll be right over. Out of that, I got a beautiful Panasonic uh, RF4900. Cleaned it up a little bit, and it's like good as new. That's sitting on my shelf here. But I got a couple of older ones there that. Uh, look pretty tough shape. Uh, you might like them. You, you want me to ship them to you? <laughs> no, no, please don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, I found I found on one of the walks uh, they make these um, uh, patio chairs that are canvas and then two one meter diameter um, aluminum uh, loops or hoops. And uh, there there's some fancy uh, plastic joints that holds the whole thing together. Well, I'm I'm looking at them thinking. This is a magnetic loop antenna. Actually, it's two magnetic loop antennas. Mm -hmm. So I found two of those patio chairs. So on the side of the house, I've got two of those. And at some point, um, one of those is going to become a magnetic loop receive antenna. So uh, I've got the I've got the uh, broadband uh, preamp already. I, I just need to build uh, the rest of the uh, system to kind of blow all that stuff into the back of the 7300. Wow. Well, you sound like a troubleshooter. In fact, one of the things I noticed on your uh, podcast site had to do with solar panel noise. You know, uh, I'm kind of into solar stuff here, too, and I don't remember when I ran into this problem on HF, but my noise level is like an S9, and I thought, could that be solar noise? Sure. Sure it could be. Yeah, uh, you could have... Um 
uh, you can have a problem with the charge controller. Uh, charge controllers on on solar happen to, um, depending upon where they're made and who makes them, can be very noisy. What I also, the way that they're done here is, um, um, and I don't know a lot about solar panels. I don't have any. I don't have any because they make too much noise. But uh, one of my friends who happens to be a ham uh, at the other end of, uh, of the town that I'm in, uh, has solar panels on his roof and his uh, his noise level is outstanding and part of that i think is is that they're um uh the the the, the cables that connect the panels together um have uh, i think uh high frequency uh high frequency uh um AC running on them, so maybe for maybe it's maybe it's uh, AC at 400 hertz, maybe it's 400 volts at 400 hertz or something like that. But it 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 makes all kinds of noise, and I've seen people who've actually um, taken those cable harnesses apart between the panels and actually put uh, ferrite uh, cores on them in order to to kind of get that noise down. But uh, I think there's a whole bunch of uh, reasons that a solar uh, system can be noisy. Well. I I, I was very tickled to run across that bit of information because I've been frustrated with my S noise level, S9 noise level, and what I've got is not sophisticated at all. It's just one solar panel going to a cheap Chinese uh, charge controller in our storm shelter. Well, there, there, that's probably what you're. That's probably what's making the noise is the charge controller. Yep, it's in our it's in our little storm shelter for tornadoes, and where is it located? Right underneath my long wire antenna. <laughs> There you go. That probably takes care of that. I'm going to have to do that as soon as we're done with this podcast. Now, let's let's talk about your main passion right now, and that's uh, your podcast. How did you come about deciding to do this podcast? And tell me a little bit about the struggles of uh, developing it, building interest in it, growing your audience. Uh, I can learn a lot from you. Uh <laughs> Well, I think um, look, uh, I'm a podcast listener first, so I I think that every podcaster starts as a podcast listener. Uh, the, one of my favorite podcast networks is Leo Laporte's Twit Network, so uh, it's TWIT.TV, and uh, he has all kinds of podcasts that are um, based on uh, technology. So if you're a technology lover, then uh, then the Twit.TV network has all kinds of podcasts. Yep. So I, I started listening there and that's, that's kind of, uh, that that's, those were my first podcasts. And then I started listening to, um, to other podcasters and thought, you know what? I, I think what's missing is we need something for, for ham radio. And about that time, um, ham nation started on the twit network and, uh, they, they were, they were telling a, a story and I thought, you know what, M maybe I should tell a different story. And, and so therefore I decided to, um, start telling the story of people who were old enough to be my Elmers, and that would be, and since I'm 62 now, those people would be people who were in their 70s, because most of my Elmers were, um, were they weren't older, uh, they, a lot older. They happened to be, you know, 10 to 15 years older than me. And uh, as a, um, in my late teens, I actually worked for Communication Specialist, which was a uh, a company that made uh, uh, PL tone boards. Uh, for the two-way radio industry. So uh, Spence Porter, WA6TPR, uh, was a mentor. Um, uh, Mike Klein, um, WA6VLD, uh, uh, worked in, on the bench next to me, and he was uh, a, an amazing mentor to me. And uh, so 
I decided that, you know, uh, these these guys are right now in their mid-70s, so what I'll do is I'll just find um, all of these hams that are um, are doing outstanding things. They're focused on, as we talked a little bit earlier, on, on that one thing uh, that they do really well, and, um, and I would uh, interview them. And so that's kind of the idea for it came from, uh, came from Ham Nation doing their thing uh, in the way they're doing it. And then the idea that what I do is I tell ham radio stories from the very beginning. So that's kind of been my focus. Um, I tend to not take guests who are outside of that focus. So an example, somebody, uh, uh, Timothy, uh, that, we, that you mentioned earlier, uh, mentioned to me last night that I should interview the the kids from from yacht the the young kids and um, I said you know what there's a lot of people that are interviewing them I think maybe I think and you have uh, from what I can see a number of times so they're, they're not my audience they're um, uh, you know they're probably adorable but my audience is our 50 year old guys mostly um, uh, licensed over 30 years uh, have the extra class license, the majority of them, the majority over 50, as I just said. So um, I know my audience and I know what stories I'm telling, and that's why I stay focused on that. And so if I was going to give advice for podcasters, I'd say that the most important thing is to stay focused, to um, to, to, to maintain a, um, a structure that you present to your audience every week so that it's not new every week. Um, technology was not much of a s- struggle for me because I, st- what I started was I would record on, on a uh, program called Pamela using Skype and, and I was using an old o- operator's headset for the first hundred episodes. So I didn't concentrate on technology. I concentrated on content. So I, I would say that that's the, the key advice for anybody wanting to start a podcast is, um, to concentrate on content and, uh, all the other stuff will fall into place. Yep. Well, you have good content, and you have a very clear focus. It uh, is evident in your podcast. I've been uh, very focused on my goal, too, and I think it's important to establish a goal up front and uh, stick to that mission statement or vision statement. And so mine has always been to build interest in the amateur radio hobby. And uh, like you, I like to interview some of the older folks and have them share their stories and what they're passionate about now, what their concerns are for the hobby. Uh, we have interviewed uh, several of those folks on Ham Nation, and uh, we have uh, interviewed people like yourself that are more well-known right down to people who are feeling like they're just nobody. But I always tell them, everyone has a story. And uh, in fact, I've been in the marketing business for a number of years, too, and that's always been kind of my tag for that, too, helping you tell your story. And it's amazing the stories that people have out there, and so that's what I focus on is having people tell their stories with the goal of building interest in the amateur radio hobby, which I love passionately. Now, in terms of uh, growing your podcast, do you actually have any accurate numbers of how many people listen to your podcast? Sure. <laughs> yeah, the, the short answer is yes. I, I know the number of downloads that I get for per episode and that, and that I get uh, monthly. The uh, the number I, I won't tell you the number because I I think that it's um it's not important unless you're like Tim Ferriss where you've had 400 million downloads in the last couple of years that you've you've done your podcast but um what it appears from my numbers is is that uh, new listeners 
and I, I get new listeners. I, I, well, let's put it this way. I have the same amount of, of downloads every podcast, every episode um, that I've had for the last um, four years or so, five years or so. Um, but it increments up very slowly per episode. But all of those, those incremental new listeners are going back and downloading the entire catalog. So now, now that's 277 episodes. And I can see that, um, that the monthly total is going up. Um, but the, the, the weekly, the, the individual episode totals are kind of incrementing up slowly. So does that make sense to you? Yeah, I, I never really got into the download side of podcasting because it takes up so much space on my device, which I primarily use my iPhone, and so I just stream it. Uh, do you find most people streaming versus downloading? Uh, well, I can also, uh, you know, I use um, I use a company called Libsyn, and Libsyn gives me stats. So the stats tell me. Who, who who are using browsers? So I, I, I know who's downloading from my website, uh, but I also see who's downloading from apps, you know, like Stitcher, for example. There's a whole bunch of, of uh, apps that are on smartphones. Um, apps are great for listening to podcasts because um, apps will download the episodes so that you can listen to them offline, for example, or in the car, and, but they'll also update as new episodes come out so the stitcher app on my phone uh, every time a new uh, podcast that i'm listening to or i'm following um uh is updated then it updates on my phone so that i'm carrying it around so i just got back from the states and i was able to listen to many of my podcasts on the airplane without having to be connected uh to the internet and uh so for portability standpoint listening using an app on your smartphone is a great way to listen to podcasts Right. Of course, you could set it up to automatically delete after the last three, I, I believe. Right. Or, or the last or the last one. So yeah. as it as it updates to the, the next episode, then it deletes the one that's previous. Now, you can always go back and get them uh, with with the app and listen to them again. And so it'll just download it again. But um, yeah, apps are a great way to listen to podcasts. I, I, I surprisingly, I find uh, that I have a large number of a large percentage of my audience that listen to me um, from the the link on the, on the website, which is interesting. It means that they're they're not necessarily moving around. They're maybe listen, They're at their desk listening to the podcast while they're doing something else. Right now, you mentioned Stitcher. Is that your favorite podcast platform? Uh, I think Stitcher is my favorite podcast platform because I've only used it. Uh, I haven't I haven't tried anything else. It seems to meet all of my all of my needs. There may be some others out there that are um, that are better, uh, but I, I I guess I uh, I I if it works for me, I, I I'm just going to stick with it. Right. I'm I've just switched over to Anchor.fm from SoundCloud because it allows me to create uh, segments of a podcast that I can rearrange, I can add music to, or uh, do transitions, all kinds of stuff. And it's now been bought out by Spotify, which is also a great way to listen. But Stitcher has some very cool features I just ran across. I don't know if you're aware of it. Uh, you can listen to my podcast on uh, Alexa. Whoop, i got to turn her off. She's going to respond. <laughs> uh, I have a podcast uh, skill called Radio on the Rocks. And you can just ask her to play that. But I just uh, found out 
this last week that Stitcher has extra commands where you can actually rewind and fast forward a specified amount of time. So just with the power of voice, you could listen to your podcast, which is on Stitcher, uh, just with voice commands. And if you want to jump ahead or rewind and listen to something you missed, uh, that's another great uh, feature that Stitcher has. Yeah, I think it's probably pretty common to most of podcasts uh apps i i listen to my podcasts at two times speed uh and and stitcher allows you to listen at two times speed without changing the the uh pitch and timber of the voice so it just sounds like uh, people are talking faster kind of like in fact t- when people <laughs> when people get in my car uh, we we a lot of people hitchhike in israel um, when I if I pick up a hitchhiker that's going into Jerusalem, and they hear um, Stitcher playing on my car radio at two times speed in in English, um, they'll ask me if that's English that they're listening to because um, they're not used to hearing English at that speed. So it's it's kind of funny. It's kind of like those commercials you hear where they have all the uh, extra information they have to squeeze in there, and they just rattle off so fast you can hardly understand it. Well, you know what? It, what's interesting is I, I have a, a blind friend, um, the, uh, Steve WB6FZU, who uh, is a, a technology specialist for, um, I think, the Orange County Federation of the Blind. And Steve uh, listens to his um, his emails at six times speed. Oh, my. So uh, the, the brain is capable of, of um, you know, with some, some practice of listening at um, at faster speeds, I like two times speed because I get I can listen to more podcasts, and I I listen to podcasts while I'm driving and walking the dogs, so uh, I can get maybe twenty podcasts in a week. Wow! So I take it you don't watch TV much. I I don't I don't hardly watch TV at all. Very good. Well, podcasts but, are. But when I do watch TV, I I have um, I have an Apple TV, an old Apple TV uh, with Netflix, and so Netflix is I think the only thing that we're paying for, and um, and occasionally there's something there that's interesting. Yeah, like Ham Nation. Uh, yeah, Ham Nation might I don't think they're on Netflix, but I think Ham Nation actually has a uh, an Apple TV channel that you can so you can actually watch. Uh, Ham Nation or the Twit TV network on or the the video side of it. I've never I've never seen the video side of Ham Nation. Oh, it's I, fun. I listen to it as an audio podcast. I have an Apple TV and a Roku, and I uh, listen to the Ham Nation on Twit, which is just kind of as is. So you get the intros, you get them testing out their mics, you get some of the offhanded comments before they get into the actual unedited show. It's quite entertaining. Uh, one of the things that uh, we do here is mesh networking. In fact, uh, in my podcast, daily podcast, I call this Mesh Mondays. I wonder if you might, by chance, be into mesh networking. Oh, I would love to be in, into mesh networking. I've got um, some uh, uh, ubiquity equipment in the drawer next to me. Uh, I've, we actually think that we're going to probably use um, amateur microwave using ubiquity or um, or uh, microtick equipment in order to link the radio sites together at some point right now we're using uh, LTE uh, on some of the seats sites that are more um, more remote but I think yeah mesh networking is a great idea I, I, I love the idea of mesh networking the only thing is is, is that you really have to get a whole p- bunch of people to buy in in order to build that mesh out right 
Yeah. Well, I found it very interesting here a year or so ago. I created a mesh network for my neighborhood. I had uh, Linksys 54G routers with a SIP phone, Grandstream SIP phone, for a total of $80. I set up one of them uh, with a Raspberry Pi as a uh, free PBX. Then I went right. to my neighbors and I said, how would you guys like to be part of my mesh network for our own private phone system? Every one of them. Oh, you bet. Popped 80 bucks. I ordered their gear, uh, provisioned their uh, firmware on it, and uh, set it up in their homes. So we have a off-grid communications network here with my neighbors who are not licensed hams, but they're starting to get a little flavor of what we can do for the community. And uh, it works phenomenally well. I got a ubiquity bullet antenna up front, and I say, if anybody can see that, you can be part of our network. And even if you can't, we could create something in between. You could probably be connected through someone else you can see. And it uh, works very well. So I, I met uh, Mike uh, N9MS. I wonder if that has anything to do with Mesh. But anyway, Mike's uh, from Wisconsin. He's there now for Thanksgiving, and he lives in Arizona. And he's really big on the Mesh networking, so he's our normal guest for that. Now we're talking about services you can add to a Mesh network. And uh, that would be cool to be able to have your radio network on there, too, to expand its reach. Well, I think, um, you know, amateur, amateur radio connected by the Internet. I, I say this on the podcast all the time that, you know, you need a trillion dollars worth of infrastructure in order to be able to, you know, connect your um, your uh, all-star node to other all-star nodes, especially outside of uh, the country that you're living in. So I love the idea of mesh networking between repeater sites. Maybe you don't use them. Maybe you're not using mesh, uh, the mesh technology for this kind, but you're using microwave anyway between the sites. And then um, having uh, the, the the mesh networking coming down off the sites to uh, to local users. I love the idea. I love the idea of um, putting an all uh, an asterisk PBX on it as a way to create a um, another uh, kind of uh, phone system for uh, or another kind of say a com communications mode on ham radio. I love that idea. I love the idea of um, using the mesh network for um, for sending video uh, or or d data or plans for things you're building or whatever you're sharing. Uh, I think the whole idea is great. And and the fact is, is we have um, some amazing frequency bands uh, in amateur radio for mesh networking that if we don't use them, um, they're prime uh, territory for, uh, for um, 5G or for any of the other services that uh, the carriers would like to take. Yep. Well, Mike is into tunneling too, which then he'll have a private mesh work, a private mesh network in one location, using the internet to tunnel to his other private mesh network back in Wisconsin, and so we're going to be getting into that in the future too. It'd be neat to get a bunch of these mesh networks tunneled together, well, much like we do in All Star, I guess. I mean, we just connect, and whoever's connected to your node is part of the network. I love All Star. Yeah, no, I do too. Well, Denny, I think look, I think what you did with your neighborhood is um, is absolutely fantastic. What a great idea that is! Uh, you'll inspire a whole bunch of people to uh, to um, to think about doing something like that. Uh, actually, you have me inspired because it doesn't. The, this um, ubiquity stuff now uh, is not expensive at all, and the ability to create an off-grid um, uh, separate t telephone system for the neighborhood. 
is an outstanding idea. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad uh, that you mentioned it. Yeah, we have a lot of preppers in our area. In fact, that's kind of sort of our mindset. Not, not very extreme, but uh, wanting to be prepared for anything. Uh, so if the power goes down, if the communication services go down, a mesh network makes a lot of sense for staying in touch with your community. And we're all rather separated. We have large acreages. I mean, I can see neighbors pretty easily, but most of us have anywhere from 10 to you know, 30 acres of land between us. And uh, this makes a nice, secure community that uh, nobody can drop in on. It's very private. If I decide to add the internet to it for uh, maybe doing some tunneling, I would do that only with their permission. But uh, yeah, it's a very cool technology. And uh, again, just part of ham radio. In fact, using these Linksys uh, 54G routers, uh, if you're on the lower channels, you're actually on ham radio frequencies. And where else can a non-ham use a ham frequency to communicate but mesh networking? I oh, know. I think it's a uh, it's a very clever idea. You could also use it for security cameras around your neighborhood. Then you know, opening and closing gates or monitoring, you know, traffic on your private roads. Seems like a a win win situation there. Yeah, very cool. Well, are you into satellites at all? Um, there's a, a number of hams here in Israel who are getting on the uh, the new uh, S Hale. Was that Oscar Ten? Uh, satellite, which is a geosynchronous satellite over Africa, it doesn't have a footprint in um, in North America. It, it, it seems like it touches the east coast of Brazil a little bit before, um, you know, kind of covering the the Atlantic Ocean, uh, most of Asia, you know, all the way out to I think to about India. So uh, that's looking very interesting. So if I'm going to get into satellites, probably I'm going to find an Elmer here who's already done it and um, and probably build one of those satellites oh man i'm jealous that's the q o 100 and that's uh i think it's centered over north africa so it covers all of the uk and africa and, and that whole region uh what is it 10 gigahertz or something but it's like a whole yeah spectrum. it's 10 it's 10 gigahertz down and and uh, like 2.8 up so and it's and it's and it's broadband it's a it's a transponder so uh, that means for people that aren't into satellites um, it, it's taking a, a a a big piece of spectrum, and uh, and repeating it on another big piece of spectrum, so that whatever you put into it, CW, FT8, um, single sideband. Uh, unfortunately, some people are using FM on it and wiping out the band, but um, but uh, whatever you put on it, you know, um, then you're you're essentially repeating it, and it's coming out on 10 gigahertz. So uh, it, it's really cool. It's a it's a really cool idea. Uh, preppers should love it. I'm I'm assuming that at some point somebody will build a geosynchronous satellite for amateur radio use over North America. I sure hope so. I think that would be the coolest thing where you could actually have a QSO instead of just uh, call sign and grid square. Although that's fun too. But uh, most most people like to chat and talk and get to know people. So I'm hoping and praying that'll happen someday. Uh, are you well, I think the uh, you know the the technology to do um, this S Hale uh, satellite uh, is kind of a th that barrier to entry is what's probably keeping it nice and clean at the moment. But at some point, uh, the the that barrier entry will lower and and more more people get on it and it'll become a lot more crowded. But um, it's an interesting idea. It's an interesting idea, if, uh, especially if you. Um, want to have a communication system that's off the grid. Uh, 
Um, here yeah, in, in Israel, um, you know, we have cell phones that work everywhere, you know, from one end of the country to the other. But if there's a problem, you know, if there's uh, if public public safety needs, uh, you know, cell, uh, the cell telephone system, then all of a sudden that system stops working. So the idea of having amateur radio or having um, some other way to communicate is very appealing. Yeah, and it takes money to do that. I understand uh, QO100 was financed by some fairly wealthy individual over there in uh, Saudi Arabia, or wh where was it from? Qatar. Qatar. It's Qatarian, yeah. 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 And I understand even our little birds up here, like AO91 and 92 that I like, uh, cost almost a hundred grand to put into space. Well, you know, the, I believe that the, the Qatar, this uh, Qatarian satellite also has um, commercial use on it. So it has an amateur radio transponder riding on it, but I th think it has other use, and that's why it's sitting in a geosynchronous slot. Okay, that's very interesting. Do you get into the HF digital modes much? Um, I, I only only looking over the shoulder of people who are doing it. So you've never done FT8? No, I haven't. Okay. I haven't. It it. it it looks interesting from from the standpoint of look i think for for me i think what's more more interesting uh would be um listening on whisper and then reporting um contacts that come through my receiver to one of the websites so it's it's more of a passive activity i i don't see myself um um having spending a lot of time making um digital contacts uh because i it, it's not rag chewing for example um, you're just exchanging information, and I think if I'm just exchanging information to see how I'm propagating around the world, I think for me, Whisper might be more interesting. Have you heard of JS8? Uh, is that the same as JS Call? Yes, JS Call. It's based on right. FT8 uh, technology, but it's for chatting. And not only that, it's a mesh network. It would be like packet communication. You, it's uh, like on twenty meters, it would be uh, seventy-eight instead of seventy-four, and uh, you you can do what they call a heartbeat to see who can hear you, and then you can also send a command to find out who they can hear, and so you could send a message to someone else. Like I could send a message to you if you were able to hear somebody that was able to hear somebody that was able to hear somebody like a mesh network. And we could actually chat back and forth. Oh, that's pretty cool. And and you do that in time slots like you do yep. on FT8? Yep, exactly like that. The uh, application is very similar. But you have this uh, window where you can type in whatever you want to type. And uh, Jordan, the guy behind it, has uh, increased the uh, uh, ability to transmit at higher speeds based on the strength of the signal. So you can get up to literally 25 words a minute CW speed in your conversations with someone that you can hear really well. Otherwise, it drops down, and it's all automated. So based on the signal strength, that determines the speed of the message passing. But it's basically a digital mesh network. Oh, that's pretty cool. Now, you said that, you, that you're a prepper and that you're kind of a lot of your neighbors are preppers. Do you have a bomb shelter and... And uh, a year's worth of food? No, we do have a lot of food stored up, uh, but we don't have a, a bomb shelter per se, more a shelter for tornadoes. We do have tornadoes around here, and our home does not have a basement. So for safety, we thought the $10,000 investment was worthwhile. 
and we've only used it a couple of times. Uh, but you know, what's the price of a life? So we've had right. Do you have your mesh network down there and and uh, and the ham radios? You know, I don't. But that is where I have a charger and a solar panel running, where we could run lights or have a converter in there, and so we could run radios or whatever. But uh, it would be a, a good place to do it. Um, it wouldn't take much power to to run a, a mesh system down there. Well, and especially since they're not so expensive, you could have a uh, you know backup system there. Yep. We also have backup power now with a home generator that uh, we purchased a couple of years ago. So uh, the chances of being without power are pretty slim now. Uh, that what is kind of an- what kind of antenna farm do you have out there? <laughs> Simple as can be. <coughs> I have one of those with Miami. all that with all the property. You don't have uh, any beverage antennas running out in all different directions. Nope. I'm I'm kind of a minimalist. My antenna is uh, the my antennas. Uh, five-band, end-fed long wire. Uh, it runs out like 130, 140 feet, and it tunes up beautifully on almost all bands. Um, uh-huh. I do have a tower. I actually put the tower in for a solar wind power generator. That lasted about a month till the first uh, heavy windstorm came through and broke all the blades on it. So I gave up on that, went to solar. I had a repeater here that was running off-grid with batteries and uh, solar chargers that... Uh, did well for several years, uh, four or five years, till the batteries all died. And batteries are expensive, so and I sold the repeater. Uh, everything seems to be running towards uh, Internet-based things now, and so I've been really big on some of the VoIP technologies like uh, you find on the International Radio Network. Uh, Zello, got several Zello channels in the Digicom Cafe. Uh, real big on the DV switch. Folks, where uh, I've got a Raspberry Pi here running DV switch ser- uh, server software. And a thumb right. DV, thumb DV is plugged into that, so I can use my uh, network radio. I've got an RT4. I well, t- t- tell me, uh, Denny, what what is Zello? I, I don't really know anything about Zello. What is Zello? Uh, Zello is just a communications platform that utilizes the internet and people's uh, cell devices. Uh, it's got a work side of it. They call it Zello Work. So it, let's say you had a business with several vehicles running around the country. Uh, you would set up their phones or their radios to connect to the same channel. It can be a private channel, unsearchable, and use it for communication, but you have to have cell coverage to do it. Uh, but it's wide open and free to anybody who wants to use it for whatever purpose. Uh, so it's like a push-to-talk WhatsApp? Exactly. And it's uh, oh, interesting. Okay. audio and text. Uh, send images if you want. All kinds of control features on it. So there are many ham groups that use it for amateur radio bridging to other devices. That's what we had. We had a bridge from right. our Zello channel called Digicom Cafe-Link, bridging to an all-star node, which then opened it up to Echolink. And using the DV switch software, we could bridge that then to D-Star, DMR, Fusion, uh, all kinds of different things, uh, including Peanut, which is another VoIP application that connects usually to a D-Star reflector. So we had that all going, and, of course, uh, we had to give permissions, talk rights, for anyone to use that channel. And uh, the Echo Lake folks, they just said, that's not secure. Non-hams can use it. And we say, it's no different than you. We go to QRZ. I just required people to respond to an email that I sent to their email address on QRZ. If they responded back, then I know that they are who they say they are, and I give them talk rights. Um, If you can't do that, you have to know somebody who's a ham that can vouch for you 
or you could come in through one of our other digital modes that you've already been validated for. So a lot of security in that. But it just makes it possible for people to, to join the fellowship with whatever device they've got or no device at all other than a phone. So do you have a push-to-talk internet walkie-talkie? I do. That's my RT4. It's basically an Android phone running Android version 6.0 in an HD format. So I have a push-to-talk button, and I can run any application that you can find in the Play Store, Echolink, uh, you, you name it, Zello, TeamSpeak. I have a Discord server. I can use that. Uh, and I so how would, you, how would you use it with, uh, with AllStar, for example? Well, I'll start using the DV Switch software, DV Switch Mobile. Right. I can actually connect to any All-Star node out there. I set up an IAX account on my All-Star account, whether it's here at home right. or in the cloud. And from there, I have the ability to dial up whatever I node I want. So you, you, you connect, use the RT4 to connect to the DB Switch, and the DB Switch routes you into the All-Star node right. as, as a subscriber to the All-Star node. Right. Much like you would do at Zoic. Or an extension. Much like you would do with Zoiper. Now, but the uh -huh. DV Switch server, though, allows you to get into a DMR network, uh, Fusion, right. DSTAR, uh, P25, NXDN. Take your pick. It's all accessible through this one application that connects to your server. And what do you use for servers for your DB Switch? I just have a Raspberry Pi. And really? It, yep. It runs on it a has enough horsepower to actually do the transcoding? Yes. The only one that you wow. need to transcode to DSTAR would be the Thumb DV. It's you're familiar with that, or DV three thousand. That you you can't uh, do the transcoding for DSTAR in software. It just sounds horrible. So they recommend plugging in this uh, little thumb drive type thing, and that does all the transcoding. And when you've got it, it'll also transcode for DMR and does a much better job than software. But uh, DV Switch Mobile, DV Switch Server, uh, the software you install on an All Star node. Uh, just works phenomenally well. And would you use the same Raspberry Pi for the All-Star node, or would you actually use a separate Raspberry Pi for the All-Star node? Uh, I'd have my one All-Star node here runs on a Raspberry Pi. Um, you can do it in the cloud. Probably the cloud is the most reliable. But the DV switch isn't. What I'm saying is you're not running DV switch and All-Star on the same Raspberry Pi? No. No, I do have those separate. I have several oh, I Raspberry Pis here. I've got probably five or six. One is uh, mostly for TGIF DMR. I've got uh, one set up for Brandmeister. I've got a open spot for DSTAR. I've got the server on another Raspberry Pi. I've got my PBX on another one. I mean, we have a lot of data. So you're running, a, you're running a Brandmeister server on a Raspberry Pi? Nope. I just use the hotspot to connect to it. And I can do the uh, same I thing. See. I've got a uh, Android TV box here that I have all the software on. And I connect that to my DV switch server, which allows me to use my TV box to connect to Brandmeister, uh, DSTAR, all those other different ones, Fusion, YSF Fusion. Well, that's pretty cool. And what, what kind of Internet service do you have out there in the sticks? It's uh, four meg down and one meg up. It's pretty pretty slow compared to what most people are used to, but well, know. it seems to be working just fine. Are you using? Uh, is it ADSL or uh, or is it a cable modem service? It's DSL. Yeah. If I look at my network setup here, I have probably over twenty devices connected to my network. <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. 
Yeah, I, I too am running. I've got Raspberry Pis here. Um, I'm using one to run as a, um, a All Star node. Actually, all the All Star repeaters we're doing now are, are running Raspberry Pis. Um, we used to be using BeagleBone Black computers until uh, uh, until the um, uh, the Hamvoib guys uh, got it together and, and and did it all on the Raspberry Pi three. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a uh, uh, an asterisk PBX running for the house, uh, and it works pretty cool. Wow! I just built a uh, for a client. I just built a um, a uh, slideshow uh, host, which is a very simple Raspberry Pi application um, to to run a a, a slideshow and, and video for them at a trade show. So. Uh, uh, the, if anybody out there looking for Raspberry Pis, you can uh, do all kinds of things with them. And a lot of them are doing great things with even the little Pi Nanos. Yeah, pretty amazing, right? You, you uh, I think uh, my um, uh, my little hotspot uh, came on a uh, Pi Nano. I think was it a Nano? Probably. Yeah, I think. Yeah, probably. But I, I put it on a Raspberry Pi three because I actually like having um, using. Uh, uh, network connectors and cables. So sure. I, my house has got Cat5 running throughout. That's pretty standard here. The house is made of cement and steel, so Wi-Fi isn't terrific uh, in the house, and yeah. I prefer to be plugged in. So my hotspot is plugged in. Now you talk about a uh, house being made out of cement. Uh, are you in the area where sometimes missiles get launched? Um, I'm in the area where, oh, look, the entire uh, country of Israel is within range of missiles. Uh, the missiles that mostly come from Gaza are made of uh, four-inch sewer pipe, and uh, that doesn't mean that they're not deadly. I mean, they've they've launched over 17,000 of those missiles from Gaza in the last uh, 10 years or so. Um, they they do have grad rockets. Grad rockets will reach here. Uh, only a few times have they come, you know, this close. And uh, so all of our houses have bomb shelters. I can't imagine living like that. And I really get mad when I see how the news is so one-sided. Oh, these poor guys. But uh, Israel always gets blamed for defending themselves. It's just wrong. Well, on the one hand. On the other hand, um, it doesn't keep us from, you know, going places and doing things. You know, uh, every every country has its challenges, I think. So um, I've, I've just come back from America and... Um, it seems to me, you know, the greatest country in the world, people don't seem to be happy or the majority of people don't seem to be happy. Or, you know, maybe I'm just running into the people that don't seem to be happy, but um, it's it's kind of hard to grasp. I think it has to do with the faith element, and that's uh, why we make that a part of who we are. Uh, right. Makes- well, that may, be, that may be it. Maybe there's uh, people are um, have lost their anchor. Exactly. But, um, yeah. You probably want to edit this this oh, no. this part of it oh, out. No, we're not going to edit but, any. Uh, this is this is <laughs> this is what we're about. I, I've invited interviewed so many people that have been free to share their faith. There are some on the outside that say, "Oh, that shouldn't be part of ham radio." And I say, "What? You're rejecting me? This is who I am, and I accept everyone as they are." And part of amateur radio is to uh, build international goodwill. And how can we do that if we can't be who we are? Uh, so well, that, that's certainly true. I guess I, I, the only thing that surprised me on this trip was is that um, that it it seems to me that people should have more hope. You know that um, that 
for the most part. And maybe that's a lack of historical perspective. I think that, you know, we live as human beings better now uh, than we ever had in the history of human humankind. So it, it surprises me when there are so many people who are kind of down on um, the way things are right now. Right. Um, for the most part, it's pretty good. Well, I think you even can, here. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I think you hit the nail on the head, though. Uh, many people don't have an anchor, and if we don't uh, have our lives anchored in a kind and loving God, uh, there's a lot of despair. There's a lot of depression. And uh, that's part of what I want to bring to the hobby, too, because you see that in many circles in amateur radio. There's just a meanness out there and uh, impatience and uh, lack of tolerance. Uh, what I say here in the cafe is we want to be uh, a place where we have a culture of kindness. And uh, it's a place where we all learn to listen, acknowledge, and share. And what I mean by that is we respectfully listen to other people and their different views we acknowledge that we hear them, and we share back where we're coming from in a very kind and respectful way, non-judgmental way. And uh, I just won't tolerate any of the bickering and fighting and drama that you might find in other groups. And uh, I find that a lot of hams are drawn to this. They, they want this culture of kindness again, as we so desperately need in the whole world. And uh, for me, it comes from this being anchored in a kind and loving God. Well, I think... Um if we use ham radio as let's say we use ham radio as a paradigm for life, for example, now I say this all the time that ham radio is a big tent, meaning that it has a lot of technology, a lot of different kinds of technology, a lot of different activities, a lot of different kinds of activities, you know, from um, from working DX or working contests or uh, traveling on de-expeditions or working satellites or building equipment or making the mesh networks. You know, we've talked about all of that stuff, right? But I think the ham that that does all of those things without mastering any of those things um, isn't satisfied. And so that's where I've, I've said in the past, and I, I believe it um, uh, sincerely, uh, not just in AM radio, but but in, in in other aspects of life, that it really pays to focus on one thing for a while. Hold on a second, jet's flying over. I'm not hearing him. No, I'm hearing him. Yeah, F-16. <laughs> um. Anyway, um. That 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 hams that that and and that's most of the people I've interviewed. Hams that focus on one thing and learn to do it really well, so that they become a master of it. Um, they have a you know a sense of satisfaction from the hobby that that they wouldn't have if they were trying to do a little bit of everything. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it's kind of like it's kind of like continu continually being distracted by social media every time you think you're about to go in deep on something. You, you you create this frustration for yourself because you never f finish what you start, right. and I think that that you know as ham radio is a paradigm for this, um, the, the the most successful hams, the happiest hams, are the ones who've gone in really deep. Yeah, well, I think it's uh, very true. You need to focus. You seem like a very focused person, and uh, over the last few days that we've been communicating about this uh, conversation, I've been focusing on. Uh, getting to know you better and building a friendship and uh, I really appreciate you taking your time to spend your evening uh, with me here in the cafe and uh, it's been a good discourse 
and we've learned a lot. Right, about thank each other. you. And I want to invite you. Yeah, to... And the coffee's good, Danny. <laughs> I really appreciate the coffee in the cafe. Well, that's good. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, I invite you to join us on our all-star note. I, I don't know how much activity you find there. I know Rich says that uh, it's pretty quiet most of the time. However, I have joined uh, Annette with, uh, I think it's Mark and some of the guys that... Right, 4X1KS. We have a, a Sunday, uh, we say it's a Sunday night net. For us, it's Sunday night right. uh, at 9 o'clock um, on, uh, was it 42555 DMR? Mm-hmm. And um, I don't remember what the all-star number is. Uh, you 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 perhaps uh, re- remember it or, or know it better than I do, but um, yeah, we, we try to have a net there. But you know, the, look, the, the the issue I think that we have that everyone seems to have, and and I, I like the idea that you've um you know you you build uh, use DV switch to build a, a kind of this way to bring a whole bunch of people together, and that is 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 that there's so many uh, hams now segmented on their own systems. You know how many uh, how many all star nodes are there now? That unless they're connected together, you don't hear any activity. And uh, even with um, you know, maybe there's 14 of us you know, now on All Star in Israel, um, between working and everything else we're doing, there's not a whole lot of activity. And so, um, to just to create noise, uh, we'll turn on the wind system, which is a great network network net uh, system on the west coast of of the United States, right. um, which is I guess 94 full time or over 90 full-time nodes connected. But even then, it's not as busy as uh, as two-meter repeaters were, you know, 40 years ago. So it's hard to find people to uh, talk to on these networks unless they're connected together. That brings up another question. What What are your thoughts about the state of amateur radio today? Oh, I love amateur radio today. Um, I... Th- I think you know as a, it's a it's a big tent. I said that earlier. It's a big tent. It has all kinds of uh, distractions and shiny objects. Um, I think that the internet has made it possible. Oh, look, you and I are talking um, on Skype, but I think it's made it made it possible for us to um, to innovate and share and um, and and move the the meter faster than we've ever been able to do it. You know, think about it uh, when you got, got into ham radio in the seventies, uh, Denny, that, you know, if somebody had an, a technical idea or a technical innovation, they'd put it in QST or 73 or ham radio magazine. And, um, it would take, you know, four to five months before that was published. And it would take another four to five months for someone to respond to it, you know, to, to make that dialogue in order to, to, uh, to innovate in that way. Uh, now we do it instantly, and we 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 broadcast instantly an innovation or open source projects or whatever it is that we're doing in amateur radio. Um, those things are uh, happening by leaps and bounds, literally overnight. So I think it's a great time to be a ham. I'm very optimistic about ham radio. I think, however, that um, the challenges that we um, we somehow need to come out, and maybe you've got the idea with your uh, with your uh, uh, Digicom Cafe. And as we need to come together every once in a while and have the conversations uh, about ham radio and um, and where it's going, I'm not worried necessarily about young kids coming in. I've said this on my podcast that um, you know 35 year olds uh, coming into the hobby um, with a life expectancy into the 80s um, means that um, there's a lot of hams that'll spend 50 years in ham radio before they you know move on to the next world. So. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think ham radio is in great shape. Can you imagine what it's going to look like in 50 years, much less 10 years? 
Um, you know, I, I can't necessarily on the one hand, yeah, on the one hand, I can't necessarily in terms of the the technical innovation. But I think in 50 years, uh, you'll still have hams um, working CW and um, and enjoying CW because of the um, of the intellectual stimulation that comes from it. You know, I think we have more CW operators now on the air than ever in the history of ham radio. And um, and I think that's because um, I, I guess maybe there's some nostalgia for it on the one hand, but it's also um, a great activity to do after you spent uh, your day being um, bombarded by um, telephone calls and social media and all the other stuff that uh, seems to drive the noise in people's lives. Yeah, well, I've started getting back into CW a little bit, but I don't hear nearly the activity I heard when I first got my novice license. It was wall-to-wall. You had to just use the filters well, to pick out the one conversation. Well, anyway. Well, wait till, wait till the sunspot cycle you know, starts to come back up. Oh, yeah. I think, um, I think a lot of people have gone to the digital modes and FT8 um, just as a way to keep communicating. But I think that when, when, the, when the sun cycle is, is, sunspot cycle is back up, I think that you'll hear a lot more people on CW. Yeah, I can't wait. Uh, I remember driving down the road with my uh, realistic, 10-meter mobile radio talking to people in Japan from Minneapolis like nobody's <laughs> business. Those were the days. <laughs> they were the days, but they're coming back. Yeah, that's so. great. Well, you spent a, a whole hour and a half almost here with me uh, in the cafe. I'm sure you're uh, ready to move on to your podcast and uh, line up your interviews. I know that uh, your podcast is very formal and very well organized. I'm more of a free roller uh, very spontaneous, and so this has been hopefully relaxing for you to just uh, not to worry about it, but just enjoy our conversation. I know I've enjoyed it. I've learned a lot, and you have a, a new fan. I hope uh, a new well, friend. Well, thank you, Denny. And uh, I'm I'll, I'll start loading your podcast into my uh, into into Stitcher and listening to what's happening in the cafe. How about that? That sounds great. And please join us uh, on All Star. If you want to connect to us, I'll connect to you from time to time and give you a holler. Uh, we haven't talked to Rich for a while because, uh, of course, different time uh, elements here. We're right now, for me, it's uh, 20 after 12, and for you, it's what, 8 o'clock, 8.30? Right, we're, and we're, as a, as a group, we, we, we tend to be very busy doing a whole bunch of other things, including amateur radio. So, yeah. Um, we're 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 being pulled in different directions, and we no longer wear the radios uh, around all the time. So yeah, that's for uh, sure. Well, stay the cell radi- phones have replaced the radios. Yep, exactly. Well, stay radioactive, my friend, and uh, appreciate the the time we spent. Uh, Great, thank you so much. Thank you. Four Z one UG. This is K five DCC seventy three, my friend. Four Z one UG seventy three, Denny. Thank you for visiting and listening to this radio on the Rocks Cafe cast. This podcast can be heard on Apple, Google, Spotify, and Stitcher apps, plus the embedded anchor.fm widget at digiconcafe.com. You can also listen to all of our cafe casts on your Amazon devices by asking Alexa to play radio on the rocks. Now, please stand by for a word from one of our sponsors. Is there somebody that you know that's trying to get their ham ticket? Trying to ham test online. It's easy. There's no drudgery to it. There's no dread to it. 
And right now, you can get the technician exam study guide that's normally $29.95. And right now, during this sale price, it's only $19.95. That's right. That's the technical study guide for the tech license for HamTest Online. Now, let them log into HamTest Online and let them follow the program study guide. They'll get their ticket in a matter of a few days. Right now, the price is reduced to $19.95. So get online. And if you've already got all of your tickets, then ham it forward by buying this study program for someone who's trying and wants to get into ham radio. HamTestOnline.com. That's HamTestOnline.com. 